is the Green Steel Challenge. I am Astrid Korf. Welcome to the Green Steel Challenge. In this podcast, we want to focus attention on the efforts being made towards decarbonizing the steel industry worldwide. We will be joined by thought-provoking industry leaders to help us answer questions such as how can we measure progress and what can we do behind the scenes to help deliver green steel. We will use this podcast to challenge the steel industry to get specific about how it will get to zero carbon steel. Joining me each time will be Dr. Mike Walsh, an independent consultant and project developer in the steel industry and special metal sectors, and James Moss, strategy consultant and partner at First River Consulting. Let's welcome today's special guest from Brazil, Andre Bier Gerdau Johann Peter, vice chairman of the board and former CEO of Gerdau. Mike and James, over to you. Thanks for that, Astrid, and welcome to um, Andre uh, from the Gadao Group. Uh, can you please give uh, the listeners uh, an overview of the Gadao Group? Uh, it's a very interesting, uh, truly regional steel producer. Decarbonization and the Green Steel Challenge, what does it mean to the Gadao Group? Happy to be here. Thanks for Astrid for the, the invitation and the Villicorf Foundation. Villicorf was an outstanding business person on the steel industry. Uh, we have to recognize his his vision. He was one of the first to go on the mini-mills, which nowadays is what everybody wants, is the EAF route because of this two, CO2 emission, which is the subject we, we are here for. Gerdau is a, a Brazilian-born company. Uh, we are 122 years old, and uh, we always been in steel, and uh, our strategy is to continue to be mainly in steel. Uh, nowadays, we focus in the Americas. Uh, we had a previous operations in India, Spain, but through the time and some strategic uh, revisions, we, we, we decide to focus in the Americas in steel, and that's our business today. We present in nine countries. We do around uh, 12 million tons a year of shipments have a capacity of more than that, but that's mainly our shipments annually. And uh, around 70 to 75% of our production use the uh, EAF scrap route. So our our CO2 uh, tons equivalent to a ton of steel is uh, 0.89, which is uh, half the average of the, the, the world. So we, we believe we are in a good position nowadays, uh, but that's not enough. We, we've been working to reduce uh, our C2 emissions. We have many different initiatives. Uh, more on the next uh, years, we have a, a goal for 2031 to reduce to 0.83 tons of CO2 uh, equivalent emission. And we have some initiatives uh, to achieve that. And our aspiration is to be net zero by 2050. So we are most just on, on the, on the production. We are most uh, long products, but we also have flat products in Brazil. And we also have a our own mining source. And, uh, again, scrap is, 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 is our core material and recycling. And we were born. Our first meal was a mini meal. Like I mentioned, uh, Villicorf in the fifties. We start with a mini mill scrap base uh, in the, in South Brazil, in Porto Alegre, where we originated. 
So by nature, by origin, we are uh, uh, on that route. When did you think uh, decarbonisation and green steel really hit your uh, agenda? I mean, it's been talked about for a long time, but there's a feeling for a lot of people that all of a sudden it really seemed to make a difference. And it'll be interesting to hear your point of view from South America versus North America, where Gadao suddenly thought, wow, this really has to be addressed. Probably in the last four, five, six years, it has come a top priority in the agenda. I would say so. And uh, in different in different uh, speeds and, and priorities, if you look to the world, and I think this is a very important point, because if you look developed countries and regions, especially Europe, I think was the first one to, to address and to put the priority. And I think that's normal because it's more developed, uh, is in a different stage of develop uh, and and uh, in in earnings and and if you compare to developing countries, so in Brazil it came later in the agenda. It's not that it wasn't at least for steel. I mean, it, it's been in the agenda most because of the uh, the Amazon uh, forest and and climate change affecting. So Brazil has been more uh, on the news for that, but on the steel, I would say for the four or five years. And because we operate in Brazil and also in North America we and other countries in South America, we can see clearly the, the difference on the priority of decarbonization because uh, in more developed like the US, Europe, uh, uh, it's more a higher priority. And also because the CO2 generation is higher and it's been generating for hundred plus years as industrial development on young nations or more developing countries like Brazil and India and even China, that's more a recent phenomenon because still developing. So one of the key challenges I see is, is, is the expectation of society and ourselves as Gerdau and everybody is to reduce CO2 and decarbonize. But I think the speed that is going to happen uh, might it be different from regions and countries because as i mentioned i mean uh, it, countries like brazil china india uh, the southeast asia if you look indonesia and so on we still have to generate uh, more income employ people develop to become more close to the developed countries and to achieve that through time uh, will be necessary to generate uh, CO2 industrial because the technology and the, and, and the ways to reduce are not totally ready. There is some initiatives. So that's an overall comparison countries and initiatives. What proportion of your steel production takes place in Brazil, Andre? Around 60%. Would you expect that to increase? I mean, as you say, Brazil is still developing. Do you expect your production there to increase relative to the rest of the world? That's a challenge question, uh, James, because <laughs> the steel consumption in Brazil has been around 100, 120 kilos in the last 40 plus years. It's going yeah. sideways. We have yeah. peaks and downs, it's very much cycles. So we, we're pretty much stable uh, nowadays in the production. So it hasn't grown much the production in Brazil uh, mm. from us and, and uh, other producers because of the consumption. Uh, same as the North America is more a mature uh, market too. Uh, so we don't see that growing too much. I mean, uh, what we are seeing is that the really 
large and important growers are in Asia nowadays and will be there. You have iron ore mines in Brazil, so you've got uh, an extraordinary resource uh, in terms of iron availability. The struggle to use it in an environmentally friendly way or a, a benign way is core to your environmental program and your decarbonization. Yes, and and uh, uh, our our largest mill is is in Minas Gerais in Ouro Branco, with where we have two blast furnaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, all other facilities are, are are EAF. So what we are doing, we just announced a very large investment in, in a new mining project, which is very close to the mill. And with that project, we're going to process the iron ore and we're going to build a, a, a pipeline. So it's nine kilometers from the mill. So we, we will avoid a lot of truck transportation, which will help environment. But also processing this this iron ore and having a larger uh, amount of FE and more quality, we also will reduce slag production in the furnace, which will help CO2. And we also have some initiatives that uh, it's kind of unique in Brazil to use biomass, which is charcoal of, of from sugar cane, from coffee and other uh, agriculture process that has... Uh, for them is waste, but you can use also, and we've been doing in the blast furnace as alternatives for coke or using to reduce the coke to uh, use in the furnace. So overall, that's some of the initiatives we're doing to reduce CO2 at the blast furnace route. I understand you're the biggest charcoal producer in the world. So I, I guess there's a sink at one level from the forestry. Uh, and then uh, there's the use of biomass as a coke replacement at another level. I mean, is this a very significant part of your uh, green strategy? It, it is. Uh, and, you, and you're correct. We're probably the largest. And charcoal is kind of unique to Brazil. It's been uh, an important alternative uh in two ways. Uh, one is the is the one I mentioned as, as biomass for the blast furnace. But our main activity on charcoal is the reforestation, uh, which is, is a great process to to capture and, and uh, CO2 when the forest is growing. And that's an important point because m- mature forests uh, doesn't sequestrate so much CO2, growing forest as the one. Yeah. So as we, every seven years, the trees grows and, and you cut is a seven year cycles. Uh, uh, it helps a lot on the environment, this reforestation. We have 250,000 hectares. So we produce our own charcoal to produce pig iron, but then solid pig iron, which we uh, use in the electric arc furnace as Brazil is, is not scrap sufficient. We use that root of the uh, solid pig iron as an alternative, which can be cost competitive, but mainly is is carbon neutral when you add uh, to the EAF production. There is still some calculations and uh, certifications through time because we are learning how to calculate and what is the real benefit of the reforestation through the charcoal, through the pig iron production. Very unusual, and you you are unique. Is that, is that right? Uh, I'm I'm not aware of anybody else who has this uh, ability um, to do this. No, in Brazil there are some others that uh, do, 
some companies, but not to the extent we do. So our main way to reduce, as I mentioned the be, the, be, the beginning from 0.89 to 0.83, is to use more charcoal and pig iron. We are investing in renewable energy, which in Brazil is already uh, probably the, the greenest uh, grid in the world. 80 plus percent of the energy generated in Brazil is renewable. It's around 65 is hydro and another 15 and growing is wind and solar. Then, then you have some uh, biomass and at the end when uh, you have some co-production, which is around 10% uh, only when the year is dry, that is not enough water for the hydro. So Brazil is in a very good position. But we also buy in the market, and, and so what we are doing is investing in renewable energy uh, in Brazil, uh, in solar and wind. Also in the U.S., we just uh, did a, a, a project in our mill in Midlothian, Texas, with a, a solar uh, project right by the mill. So we're doing initiatives in Brazil, more the charcoal, renewable energy, and also, uh, we're looking for some, uh, uh, following the technologies that are evolving and, and we'll see in the future. It's quite unusual in the sense that we talk about developing and developed countries, but at the end of the day, what you're doing in Midlothian, Texas, uh, is identical to what you're doing in, uh, uh, in Brazil. It's one, le- one learns off the other. There's not that much difference, really. No, it's not. Uh, uh, it's just that uh, uh, in Brazil, and, and Brazil is discussing, we don't have a carbon uh, market, trade market yet. There is legislation being talked and, and debate. So it's a matter of time you come. Other countries are more developed than that, or even inside countries you have by state or regions like in China or in the U.S. is developing. So uh, that's why our goal as, as a company is is to do uh, again, more scrap, uh, use the charcoal in Brazil and renewable energy. Those are basically the three uh, strategies we're using at this moment to achieve the goal in 2031. And a lot is related to efficient on energy savings and, and our operation too. Yeah. Do you, is is there a role for DRI in Brazil? I mean, there are, there is natural gas and iron ore and yeah, <laughs> good point. Very, very good. Uh, unfortunately, in Brazil, the challenge is the gas, gas cost, yeah. and it's yeah. is 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 a matter because uh, most of the gas is produced by Petrobras and other fields and others, but a lot of the gas is reinjection back uh, on the oil fields, and that's because mm. there's not clear projects to use gas. And it's a discussion nowadays because the, the, the cost of gas in Brazil is three to four times what you have in the U.S. Of course, the U.S. is the, the most competitive gas price in the world. I mean, mm. three to five dollars per million BTU yeah. in Brazil is three, four, five times. That depends on the moment. Mm. So Brazil has the resource, but we need the investment. And those are long-term investments that take five years to decide not to reject the gas and bring it to shore because mostly is is on the sea on the platforms but you can bring to the shore and then through pipelines bring to many different industries and steel is the one that could benefit a lot coming back if we have affordable gas we could do the dri because we have the iron ore and the iron ore quality too yeah Uh, just comment on this uh, on the meeting in china at the world steel last week there was a presentation on DRI, 
and there is 120 million plus DRI production and is growing as a, as a transition alternative from the blast furnace uh, until you have more hydrogen use or other ways of reducing CO2 in the blast furnace. And one of the big challenges is the, the, the iron ore quality infeed. That is a restriction because you might have gas in the Middle East or North America, but then the challenge is the iron ore, uh, the pellet mm. feed uh, yeah. for the production. Yeah. You mentioned hydrogen. Uh, there is, are there plans for hydrogen hubs in Brazil? Uh, Brazil has some 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 good points, good advantages as 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 we have quite a lot of water and 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 sun, and you could do through renewable energy, the electrolyze and, and produce. Uh, and one of the the states that are doing the most is CRI State in the northeast of Brazil, and they have uh, many projects and and trying to put a hub there. Uh, still not ready, still not pilot. Uh, other countries are already doing some pilots, but hydrogen can be probably the long-term solution. But in the short term, the technology is not ready, and the cost is is also a challenge because yeah. nowadays with some of the technologies that that we have, uh, you have to use sometimes more energy to produce H two, which then you should use the energy instead of producing H two. Yeah. But I believe this is going to evolve and through time. Five ten years probably we're gonna see this uh, hydrogen competitive and being used, but you need hubs close to the mills too. Another challenge is the logistic and transportation of H two. So in summary, um, Andre, in twenty thirty one, which is when you've done your sort of short term uh, optimization, you're down to about point eight uh, three, I think you said tons yes. of CO two. From 2031 through to 2040 and 50, how do you broadly see Gnau? How could it look like uh, in those two decades with the with the new technologies that you just been referring to? Why we put the, the, this this target out and that goal of 2031 is because that's we already measure and we believe we can do it. It's in our hands. I know that different countries announcing different targets and too long. So what we say is our aspiration is to get uh, carbon neutral by 2050. But we don't know yet how to get there because uh, we have these strategies of scrap, uh, the charcoal, pig iron, renewable energy. And our main challenge is how to reduce also uh, the, uh, the blast furnace route, which then becomes the challenge of new technologies. Uh, we're doing biomass. Uh, hydrogen is an alternative. Uh, how to reduce the CO two when you produce the coke from from the coal? So those technologies we are following, uh, we studying, we doing benchmarks, we working through World Steel and other associations. So that's still to come, and I don't see uh, any company that is ready. And some companies are investing in pilots. We just came from China again, and we saw. Uh, Baul still, they have two new technologies that they have pilot plants and they are using in some scale. Posco is presenting uh, their version or their alternatives, uh, ArcelorMittal, to name three of them, but there are other companies. In Sweden, we have the probably the first H2 mill to be e e economic viable and, and all that. But all those technologies has to be proved. 
And also, I mean, I mentioned the economic side because at the end we'll have a, a cost for the whole industry. There's all kinds of calculations how much will cost per ton uh, to, to the transition for a, a, a net zero industry. And uh, the one of the points we is important to mention is how we're going to finance this. And either the customer will have to pay, the companies will have to pay and reduce margins, or governments will help. And I believe the three of them will help, will happen some ways. Because some customers, we start to see, they want a more greener steel. And by the way, it's very hard to define what is green steel. Uh, the question is still out there. But anyway, I think it will be an effort by uh, government uh, uh, money, company money, and customers willing probably to pay a premium for uh, lower CO2 uh, products for their application. And we are evolving on this. Uh, probably the speed, we always want it faster. But again, there is a technology challenge too. Where do you think the public policy agenda ought to be? Is it is it in incentives, in punishment, in subsidization, protection of incumbents? Or, uh, what's the balance that the policymakers have to strike? That's again, I'll have to refer, I, I think will be different by country and region. And yeah. let's, let's look to Europe, which is ahead in the game, in my belief. They're starting to put the CBAM, the carbon border adjustment. Mm -hmm. They start to measuring now and by 2026 will be in place. And that's a way to try to level the playing field and say, okay, it's still coming from all the regions. If they generate more CO2, uh, they'll have to pay for that and equivalent the generation in Europe. We see also in Europe uh, major uh, investments uh, from public money. We just saw an announcement in, in, in the UK uh, mm. that they're going to give money and Thyssen in Germany too. And this money that is grant and, and fairly large amounts of money that we see. But again, if you look to Brazil, we're still debating more on the carbon tax. Should we tax or not? But I don't see Brazilian government having money to put in decarbonization yeah. on the yeah. transition. So how are we going to compete if Europe has money from government and we don't? And CBAM, should we have CBAM too? In North America, we are operating too. What the U.S. is doing is the Inflation Reductionary Act, the IRA. It's a lot of money to uh, subsidize or grant uh, for investments in renewable energy and transition, even in, the, in homes. If you put solar energy at home, you have some grants. So uh, there are different ways of doing it. Different countries are doing uh, investment and subsidies and different ones. So it's not clear path which way is going to go. But again, we always like, I think Europe is ahead in the game or is a higher priority. So it mm. should be an example what could happen in other regions. Do you see all this... Uh, diversity of funding and countervailing and subsidies could potentially create quite a lot of friction in uh, world trade of uh, steel. Uh, probably could 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 help could happen. Yeah, because uh, how how and we see in the past. I mean, for the ones a little older or experienced, like Europe has been through that when most of the steel was state owned. Yeah. And I'm talking about in the 80s. So the government has to step in and help to close excess capacity, modernize, and so on. 
So we kind of seeing this a new cycle now uh, relate to decarbonization and investments and. I don't see it equally done in again in developed regions and developing regions. So I, I agree this might create some friction in trade because nobody knows how how to how to equalize this. Uh, today when you have trade uh, anti-dumping or subsidies you can go to trade organization and put your case and but this is all new so how is going to how is going to be handled and, and rule and how countries are going to debate on trade is it's a good question i i don't think is we, we have the answers yet. no 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 i agree yeah all of these technologies and all these different places that you operate they need a lot of technical capability in terms of your people uh, how easy is it to to find those skills uh, and to attract people to, I guess, the project of, of decarbonizing the industry as much as anything else? Yes, is is evolving, and and the, the the equipment producers and other companies, even startups, are jumping in to help in this. So there's a lot of work, a lot of efforts. And and the larger the company and more blessed furnace, the more money they're putting in. Uh, again, we are in a good situation with being half the average, half the average of the world, but we're not happy with that. I mean, we want to move and we will move. So we follow technology and to attract and have people. It's it's of course a challenge because it's new technology, new developments. Uh, one thing we did in Gerdau is is to put in our long-term incentive a measure of CO2 reduction because it's a process like uh, society learning, people are learning, people are concerned, but the moment you change your long-term incentive and you put this in the mindset of the people, everybody starts thinking how to how to reduce the CO2. So every new investment, every move we, done, we do now in Gerdau, we calculate how much we're going to reduce or not CO2. Should we do technology A, B, or C, how fast we should do the project. This is part of the equation now. So on the people side, we move in that direction, inside the dump. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here, here in Europe, it's, you know, over the 30 years that I've been involved somewhat closely with the European steel industry, it's always been more and more difficult to attract talent, especially young talent. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now and a lot of anecdotal data is that fresh new talent that wouldn't normally have considered the steel industry at all uh, is now um, an interesting career path. Uh, is that something that you're seeing in South America? Uh, not so much yet, but I, I, I agree with your point that probably uh, the old me image of steel of CO2 generation and, and okay, steel is, is very is very traditional industry. But uh, people will look at it and say, well, I, 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 can, I can have an impact mm. by helping the industry to decarbonization. This for sure will move people, is a, is a, is a purpose for people, not only to produce steel, which uh, has a big impact in society for construction, for all kinds of benefits, logistics and so on but being part of a transformation i i agree with you we should attract younger people but we as an industry and again uh, working together at the world steel association we have a, a 
a large and challenge job to attract and show this image. And again, in, in countries like Brazil, we attract a lot more people. Gerdau is known, very well-known brand. Uh, a lot of people want to work and be part. When you move to more developed countries, it's not so much. It's more challenge, I would say, too. What was the, gen- I mean, uh, if you can characterize it, the general mood at the World Steel meeting that you, you recently attended? Do people feel we're going fast enough? What are the major impediments to, that they see around the world? Or uh, is it? Uh, are we ahead of where we should be? It's interesting, the last four or five or more, seven, eight meetings, I mean, almost half of the time uh, we talk about either in the executive committee, which I'm part, which is a shorter a group, uh, than the board, which is a very large group of, of companies and different regions. And what, what, what we're doing there is trying, the more we can do to benchmark and exchange information and present cases so that each company can decide which way to go or, or do something together or go in their own country and, and do it. I mean, there is quite a lot of pressure from society, which is clear and still being one gener- one sector that generates around seven, eight percent of CO2 in the world. Of course, there is pressure and there is expectations from government, society and our own people. So the mood is we have to move. We'll get there. But it's always the feeling that can we how can we speed up and then. The world still has uh, an initiative. There's three ways uh, uh, that is studies. One is to use more scrap in the whole process. And the challenge is where this scrap is going to come. We just were in China, and China is a very good example. They generate around 200 plus million tons of scrap nowadays. And they, they're going to double in the next 10, 15 years as the economy grows and be more mature more scrap is going to be generated. We've seen this in Europe and, mm. and the U.S. mainly. And China is going to go through this process. So there is a very good hope and alternatives that China is going to move to more uh, scrap. And <clears throat> that said, we can we can see that in India in the future too, yeah. uh, as countries develop. So one way the world still is seeing is more scrap. The second is a program called Step Up Program, which we benchmark and put uh, the the 15% best uh, operators and best results. And everybody can benchmark and go to do this benchmark and see how do I get to the 15 best uh, operators? Because those, because of savings of the energy efficient, they generate less CO2. And the third and most important uh, venue is technology go, coming back. So the mood again is when technology is, is going to be ready. So we had the DRI presentation, very good alternatives. What are the challenges? Uh, hydrogen, we have panels and debates on when is hydrogen going to be ready? Some companies already has some hubs or some pilots doing. So overall, those are the three ways. And again, the mood is how can we speed up uh, this transition? You talked about um, Chinese scrap and Indian scrap there. 
What is the Brazilian scrap situation? I mean, that is, I mean, we've talked all about iron ore and uh, hydrogen and uh, solar, etc. But the raw material that you're probably most dependent on uh, is Brazilian scrap. That's not a sector that a lot of people usually talk about. It's iron ore, iron ore, iron ore. How would you describe the uh, the Brazilian scrap industry and, and where is it going? And is something going to have to change for it to satisfy uh, your possible requirements? The industry is, is, is not so large if you compare to, to, to countries like US or Europe, because the generation in Brazil is not sufficient for, uh, the EF route. That's why uh, coming back to the comments, we, we complete with pig iron, solid pig iron, which is produced from the charcoal route, reforestation, charcoal and pig iron. So the, the challenge for Brazil is, is, economic growth and and we're not seeing this consistent in the last years so scrap is only generate when you really have uh, income growth and it generate more wealth and people consume and then in a cycle of 10 15 20 years you see more scrap uh, the last 10 15 years is is basic sideways the generation of scrap in brazil that's why we talk a lot of iron ore because brazil has probably some of the richest iron ore reserves uh, uh, from Vale in the, the north of Brazil. And uh, 80% of Brazil production is, is blast furnace and iron ore. One other point I can't help but uh, comment on, um, as my family comes from around uh, Manchester, uh, is Gadao funds uh, a graphene research centre in um, at the University of Manchester. Would you care to say anything about that, um, Andre? It's very interesting, sideline to steel. Yes. Uh, uh, we did, uh, a couple of years ago, we did a uh, long-term project and say what, what will be Gadao's future. And we come to this uh, decision to focus in the Americas and steel, but we also said we want to grow revenue outside or adjacent to steel. So we create a business unit called Gerdau Next. And one of the initiatives on this uh, business unit was to invest and search and develop uh, graphene. So that's why we end up in Manchester, which is probably the, one of yeah. the most advanced uh, university in place in the world to do research. And, and we have... Uh, had, uh, we put some initiative there to learn. And today in Brazil, we have a, a, a initiative. Uh, we're doing some different things on search and we believe in the application of graphene in, in steel products. And that's what we're doing. Some customers already asking. We're doing some in, in, in bearings. Uh, we have an ink also with some. So there's some initiatives, nothing major, but it's part of this Get Now Next initiative, which has three main uh, uh, projects or, or priorities, which is renewable energy, uh, all which is uh, logistics and renewable energies, logistics, materials, and construction. So there's four uh, main ways. So graphene follows into materials. Mm. And is do you think that graphene is a more likely success than decarbonization, or vice versa? <laughs> <laughs> I see. I think there is a lot of, of of talk on graphene, and at the end, it's a great material because yeah. it's energy conductor resistant. But uh, some people talk like, "Oh, there will be a graphene rebar." That's that's too expensive. You don't need a whole rebar of graphene. You might use graphene 
uh, as a cover or rebar to give more resistance. So there's a lot of talk, but it's, I think we'll be using a lot of materials like even shoes or tennis rackets or you name it. I mean, there's all over the place, but very specific uh, uh, applications, not so wide like people talk. I mean, it, it cannot substitute a whole material, but it's a very good complement. Yeah. to add resistant uh, transmission of heat and so on and so on. Graphene is not a steel, it's a, it's a, it's a form of carbon, um, which is a, a extremely interesting material, certainly under development and could apply itself to all kinds of applications with all kinds of uh, properties. These are investments of an optimistic company, optimistic board. We came to that conclusion because uh, we, when you look to the company being 122 years old, I mean, we know how to to buy and move materials like scrap. We're pretty good on environment management, what what is called byproducts, waste, and so on. Uh, Servings the customer using logistics. Our main market is construction. Our main customers, so we can learn and do so. We have we are part of a company that uh, modular. Uh, be the company is uh, BR three. Uh, and we are partnered there and they, they do like a, a Lego construction very fast. And the way we came to know this company when the COVID with, through the pandemic, we had to build hospitals in Brazil very fast and they can build a hospital with in a hundred days, all set through modular construction. So we're hooking up with companies like that because we believe construction is going to change. And this is one way to give one example. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the argument or to put Godot's case? It's obviously an extremely interesting one. We're definitely going to decarbonize. The question is how fast and how we're going to do it. And there's challenge. I mean, I didn't mention also carbon capture and storage yeah. is a very important. DRI is a transition. H2 probably is going to be the in the future presence everywhere. Uh, but this will take some time, uh, renewable energy, of course, this will take some time. So, uh, the question is how the industry is going to position and each country will be different. As Gerdau and we presence in the Americas, I think we have a very clear, uh, focus and targets, uh, till 2031. We believe we can achieve even before that, uh, because, uh, when you put efforts and focus, I mean, uh, we've seen this in the past. You start to be a better operator and find ways to reduce CO2. And then again, get out the aspiration on 2050. Uh, I firmly believe we'll get there. It's a matter of time. We're doing the efforts, the focus. Uh, and I think this will help not only Gerdau or the steel industry, but most important, uh, the world, as we need to decarbonize. Thanks very much for your time, Andre. And um, Gerdau has always been an impressive company and uh, enjoyed working with you over the years so uh, we look forward to coming back and having this same conversation in a couple of years and hopefully uh, the world will have moved on considerably from where we are we have all the challenges then decarbonize the, the steel <laughs> in the moment which we are hoping we'll, we'll get there Thank you so much for this very interesting discussion and I am very much looking forward to our next episode where we will be hosting John Lichtenstein, Managing Partner at World Steel Dynamics in New York. 